Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. What's that thing we said? The podcast where you learn so much you don't even have fun. The podcast you hate to love and you learn to hate. Oh my gosh. No, what did we call it? We had a good tagline. You'll have so much fun you won't even realize you're learning about books. I think I then said you'll have so you'll learn so much you won't even realize you're having fun. Yeah. That was it. That's what it was. <laughs> Let me tell you why we've gathered you all here today. It's to discuss the book your drinking problem the go ahead yeah why Sorry. are we here <laughs> it's like i was trying to say i need to put my hand up so jackie will let me talk <laughs> just kidding i don't care interrupt away that's our charm i've gathered you here today to discuss the book wuthering heights by emily bronte and we think this will be a three-part mini series today we're going to talk about the first nine chapters of the book give you a little background Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Ooh, there were three et ceteras in that one. One for each of us. Well, Theo, what will your et cetera comprise of? Uh-huh. Well, my et cetera be comprised of? I don't know. I'll probably, I'll probably average one hot take per episode. Per episode? Can you just bump yeah. it up a little That's bit awesome. for season two? <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of surprised that you're not someone who, whenever you hear someone say et cetera, you're like, you mean et cetera. Wait, you're saying you're surprised I'm not annoying. <laughs> well, I'm surprised you're able to keep it to yourself. Um, I would like to request that Theo has more than one hot take per episode. That's what I want, wanted to say. I also just requested that. But I formally requested it. Okay, Theo, it's the motion has been entered. Acknowledged. Acknowledged. <laughs> Is that our shtick this season? That we're like a committee, like a town hall? <laughs> I don't know if I want that to be our shtick. Acknowledged. Okay, is that it? Um, Consider it entered into the record. We'll take it under advisement. Okay, let's talk. Jackie, I think you prepared a little bit of history for us. Did you not? Wait, we need to introduce yeah. ourselves. Yeah, oh, shoot. A <laughs> this is fucking season two. People are going to be <laughs> starting we are at the beginning. No, no, no. People are going to be like, I've heard about this podcast, but I don't want to listen to some season one episode. But let me start on the 49th episode or whatever this is. It's yeah. the first episode of season two. First right. episode of season two. They're gonna and then they're gonna be listening. They're gonna think, who are these freaks? Yeah. I, I can't distinguish one voice from another. I don't know <laughs> who is producing this thing and who is hosting this thing. It's so baffling. Yeah. All right. Okay, listen. My name is Rachel and I'm one of your podcast hosts. I'm Jackie and I'm the other host. I'm Theo and I am the producer. The producer, producer. <laughs> of this podcast yeah. and one other. There's always a lot of fanfare every time the producer is introduced <laughs> on a podcast. That's why I waited for them. Like that. <laughs> so, Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte was born uh, in 1818, and she lived until 1848. Is that spoilers, Rachel? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I guess it's okay. So she she died at age 30, and um, she accomplished a lot in her short life. Or I guess she should I should say she accomplished one thing, but it was a great thing. And we'll get to what that is in just a second. Was it writing this book? I think it might have been, yeah. So her thing was she was sickly her entire life. And of course, as most of us know, she had two famous sisters. Um, Charlotte Bronte was her oldest sister, and Anne was younger. But originally, there were actually six Bronte siblings. However, they all got sent off to a school at one point. The two eldest sisters, Maria and Elizabeth, contracted some type of illness at the school and then died. And then their dad was like, y'all got to leave that school right now. So they all went home after this. They didn't go to formal schooling for a while. So Emily was seven years old when this happened. Um, Her mother had already died and now her two older sisters as well. So she goes home with her two remaining sisters and her brother. Around this time, she's like seven, eight years old. She and her siblings that were there all started to write these little stories together. And they first started off writing about a fictional world called 
Angria. So she did this for a long time, but when she turned 13, she and her younger sister Anne kind of like branched off and they started writing their own tales about a different world that they called Gondol. Um, rude. <laughs> How rude <laughs> to call it that. Gondol? Well, no, just being like, oh, actually, we're going to do our own thing. So you guys can have Angria. <laughs> yeah. And then they start with just a new imaginary world. Like, why didn't they start a completely new idea? Yeah, right. I feel like it's even more insulting to be like, we need a whole new world now. Yeah, they should have just called it better angry. <laughs> so that was kind of, I mean, the start of a dynamic where Anne and Emily were, they were kind of described like as twins, sort of like they were inseparable. And Anne has also been called the great love of Emily's life. They kind of branched off, started doing this. And then Charlotte was left out of their confidences, which I thought was kind of sad. Rude again. Wait, wait. So are there books in this world of Angria? They're like little child stories that would end up on your podcast with Vinegar Face <gasps> Joseph. Maybe we should do a crossover episode and read one. But they're probably really yeah. good. <laughs> oh, yeah. They might be too good. We can yeah. pick the worst one. Better than Island of the Dinosaurs? Maybe. Mm. You, th- you don't think that their worst story would be worse than Island of the Dinosaurs? You don't think all three Bronte <laughs> sisters weren't maybe better than you alone? <laughs> no, I'm saying one of them might be bad enough to be on Theo's podcast. Um, at 17, Emily went back to school, but every time she went to school, something awful happened to her. It's it's like school just didn't agree with her or something. So her sister Charlotte kind of noticed that she, she was always kind of sickly in general, but she went back to school and she noticed that she just became extra frail and she was like really ill-suited to regimen. Like she was very disciplined in her own way at home, but she didn't like the regimented days of going to school. She liked to have her own freedom. And so Charlotte demanded that she returned home fearing that she would die. And so she did return home. And at 20, she became a teacher very briefly, but again, her health was too fragile. I read that she worked 17 hour days at the school. Mm. 17 hours a day, that only leaves you 17 or seven hours to sleep, right? Jackie's been living 34 hour days over here. (laughs) That's how she gets so much done. That's how I get so much shit done. So she again returned home. She briefly moved to Belgium to be a teacher there. Um, but she, uh, again, couldn't hack it and <laughs> went back home. And that was for the final time. That was six years before her death. Three years later, it's 1845. Charlotte is going through Emily's stuff against her instructions, against her will, and found a whole treasure trove of her poems. So not her like silly ones about Gondol that she wrote with her sister, but like her serious ones about like her inner life and her thoughts. And Charlotte insists that Emily publishes them, but Emily is absolutely furious at this intrusion into her privacy. And she almost didn't like, I think that was a huge thing between the sisters. But in the end, she ended up agreeing to publish some of them, but it was in a joint book with both of her sisters. So they all took male pen names and Ellis or Emily's poems were lauded as the best among them. Um, Charlotte said they had like a peculiar music to them. Much of what is known about Emily now is kind of coming from Charlotte. And I've seen, Rachel, I don't know if you've seen this, but people kind of refer to Charlotte's rememberings of Emily as um, Charlotte's smokescreen. Like they're not quite sure if they can believe that you know, the things that she says about her. A couple of fun facts. Oh, I guess I missed the whole part where she died. But yeah, she died in 1848. She was 30. She had tuberculosis. Her whole illness, she was refusing to see a doctor. Not that it really would have helped anyway. She said it was quackery. She didn't ask to see a doctor until she was blind and emaciated. And she said, okay, I'll see a doctor now. And she died that afternoon. So very sad. But then Anne died a few months after. Yep. Well, that's what I have about Emily. A lot of stuff that uh, might not be true. I mean, there's just like not a lot that's known about her. Um, And that's why it's kind of so amazing that she ended up writing the book that she did, which, of course, we're going to talk about. But I mean, it's just chock full of the most 
<laughs> just the most, <laughs> the most emotions, the most deep emotions, the most anguish and torment and all for someone who never was in love herself. Yeah. When it was first published, it wasn't that popular. And after she died, Charlotte at this point was quite famous from Jane Eyre. And she said to the publishers, if you re-release this, I will write a foreword. And she did, but she also made some edits to the text and a few little changes here and there. Her forward says things like, I don't even know if this book should have been written at all. (laughs) (laughs) Really? She's like, oh yeah, Heathcliff never, I mean, spoiler, but it's in the forward. But she says like, yeah, what a bad guy. What a strange character. Maybe she never should have written him. And people throughout history reading this book have like loved it and hated it and been repulsed by it. And there are some people who are like, oh yeah, it made me sick. I mean, it is, it is really weird. Like yeah. these people have nothing going on except each other. And it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. But- very insular and obsessive. Here is a contemporary review. Wuthering Heights is a strange sort of book, baffling all regular criticism, yet it is impossible to begin and not finish it, and quite as impossible to lay it aside afterwards and say nothing about it. In Wuthering Heights, the reader is shocked, disgusted, almost sickened by details of cruelty, inhumanity, and the most diabolical hate and vengeance, and anon come passages of powerful testimony to the supreme power of love. Uh, I haven't been sickened yet. I mean, I read it when I was 15 and I sat at the side and forgot every single thing. Wow. So So I guess (laughs) Douglas Gerald got it wrong. I guess I just didn't really have a taste for the sickening and grotesque and cruel at that time. Now you do, though. So let's see what you think. Really? (laughs) You? A 15-year-old? No taste for the grotesque. (laughs) Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) You're known for your taste for the grotesque. I feel like she does like grotesque. Yeah. I can't wait till we get to chapter seven, the human centipede. (laughs) What if an audience member said, I don't want you to bring up the human centipede anymore? Would you be able to stop or would you keep doing it? Uh, Is this hypothetical or did someone say that? It's hypothetical. Well, you gave me two choices that are not mutually exclusive. Would I be able to stop or would I keep doing it? Yeah. No, I would both be able to stop and I would keep doing it. So you would say like, too bad for you. (laughs) Too bad for you. This is this. I could stop if I wanted to, but I don't want to. Yeah, this is the human centipod now. Oh. Oh, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Jackie, no. <laughs> How have you never said that <laughs> until season two? I'm so pleased. Uh, I wonder if there is a human centipod already. It does exist. It does it? Yeah. <gasps> How do you know? He looked it up. It's a comedy podcast. The The slogan is silly, sick, and stuck together. <laughs> I'm the host of that podcast, too. I forgot <laughs> to mention. <laughs> it's about me and my cats. Okay. With my other hosts, um, they're here, too, but not in a way that you might suspect. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you certainly won't be hearing from them because I'm the front member of this centipede. Okay, sorry. We're your hosts, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> If you have anything you'd like to pass along to them, let me know. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, like, but seriously, I, you know, everything we read, I shouldn't have read anything as a teenager. It was wasted on me. Everything we read, I like much more now. Twilight, you might like less. Well, should we jump into the plot? Mm -hmm. Let's do some plot. Oh, hold on. I do want to point out that, um, okay, so my copy of the book, it's from the 1960s. It was my stepmom's at one point. Oh, gosh. I think Catherine looks pretty good. 
Heathcliff certainly looks nothing like that, which we'll talk about. That could be Edgar Linton. That's got to be Heathcliff. Come Doesn't on. Look Why would they put like Edgar him? Linton on the cover? It does look like Edgar Linton, though. Yeah. <laughs> on the inside, we have a little portrait of Emily Bronte, which looks awful. Uh-huh. I can put this on the Instagram. <laughs> and she looks so fucking mad. <laughs> She's dead. What do you expect? Well, that's the face she probably made at Charlotte after Charlotte found all her poems. <laughs> Charlotte did a quick sketch of her. <laughs> yeah. So my mom, my stepmom, Marsha, this was her sister's book, Helene and Helene was not married to a man named Barry, but I'm pretty sure this was her high school copy of the book. And clearly a guy named Barry, I think, had a crush on her and like wrote all over it. Like, oh, it says Barry is a doll. I thought it said Barry is a dilf. Because you were covering the Whoa. L. And I was like, no, no, no. It's, didn't that no. come about pretty recently? Oh, my God, Rachel, no. Yeah. It's Barry is a doll. <laughs> Jackie just wrote it on there. Yeah. Like she's doing one of those forgeries. Yeah. yeah. You know? She yeah. learned about them for the first time in our last episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had to get me one of those. And then someone is like, um, that is false because DILF was not a word in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in the, the first draft of Wuthering Heights, DILF shows up like every paragraph. <laughs> She was an innovator. <laughs> she was like, I love Heathcliff, no cap. <laughs> oh, and then at the end, someone wrote Jerry in bubble letters and the end. Jerry, the end. Oh, gosh. Poor Jerry. It says Helene and Barry were here. What a pointless thing to write. In a book. <laughs> Which could be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, that's not true. They've never been in that house, have they? Uh, not in my house. So I, they're I, liars. I, that would be very strange if they had. Liars, I say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we start? Yes. We shall start. Okay. So the framing of this book is a little bit weird because when it starts, it's written as though it's a diary entry from this guy named Mr. Lockwood, who has just moved to this very remote neighborhood on the Heath. And a couple chapters in, it stops being a diary entry from him and it's a woman he meets telling him a story. And that goes on for like the rest of the book, basically, almost. So it's always in the first person, but the first person narrator is a different person depending on where you are. And the format is different. You're supposed to be thinking she's speaking to you. And then for the first couple, you're thinking that you're reading his diary and he'll be like, oh, gotta go. There's a ghost or whatever. That's all for now. <laughs> Just saw another ghost. I'll write <laughs> yeah. again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my ghost friend is back. <laughs> So anyway, we meet Mr. Lockwood, and he is, it turns out, the tenant of a man named Heathcliff. Just one name. His son used it as his last name, but that's, he literally just has one name. Mr. Lockwood, he tells us, like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> my landlord didn't want to see me, but I decided to go to his house, Wuthering Heights, on my own. Mm -hmm. So he walks, I think it's four miles. Is that the big title reveal? Title drop. <laughs> it comes in chapter one. <laughs> so, um, so, but the, the narrator also, the first narrator is always saying how unsociable he is. And he's like, oh, it's perfect for me out here because I hate interacting with anyone. But let me go hang out with Heathcliff because he hates it even more. Yeah, he he's constantly looking for someone to talk to and then bragging about how he's so good at being by himself. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mr. Lockwood is renting a house called Thrushcross Grange. Uh -huh. And that house is much nicer than his landlord's house, which is Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights is kind of huge and cavernous and castle-like, and it was built in, what, 1400? 
We'll get to that. The reason I'm telling you the names of the houses is that they're significant throughout the book. He shows up and he meets Heathcliff and he's like, oh my gosh, I love how grumpy this guy is. This is amazing. Even I, he makes me feel so cheerful and sociable. <laughs> I want to hang out with him That's why he keeps more. going to see him because he's like, he makes me feel great about myself. Yeah, really. He's so impolite. Yeah. He also meets Joseph, who's an old servant and one of the only ones who works at Wuthering Heights. I can't understand a damn thing Joseph says. I think that was one of the things that confused me a lot as a teenager. He always, he's written with this very um, like vernacular Scottish accent. Yeah. Mm. I I have it translated in my volume. Why don't you pick one? Yeah. And then I can read you what it actually means. Oh, okay. To Maester Nobot just buried and Sabbath not earned unto sand and gospel still your lugs and la darby liking shame on you sit you down you children there's good books enough if you'll read them sit you down and think of your souls so he says <laughs> the master is hardly buried and the sabbath not over and the sound of the gospel still in your ears and you dare to be playing so sometimes she just writes out the pronunciation but sometimes it's like actual slang that they would have used. So instead of you dare to be playing, it's you darby laking. Yadarby and laking. when he says still in your ears, my version says still in your lugs. Lugs. Still in your lugs. <laughs> We're delivering this podcast straight to people's lugs. Straight into the freaking lugs. <laughs> yeah. Do the other characters know what he's saying or are they all just like whatever and just walk I away? I think the narrator doesn't know what they're saying. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Because later he, okay, we'll get into but he, it. But. but he's writing this in his diary in that vernacular? I think a couple times he's like, what? <laughs> so here, when that thing that I just said, he responds, is nobody inside who can let me in? Like, he doesn't really respond. He's just like, let me in. And then the guy responds with some more nonsense. And he goes, just can't tell her, tell her I'm in there. Like, somebody come let me in. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's not how I would write my diary, I think. I wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't spell out the pronunciation of the person. You wouldn't, but Mr. Lockwood would. Oh, am I just not having any empathy? Yeah. <laughs> Feel pity for this man. Okay, let's move on. We're still in chapter one. So they try to kick him out. He wants to stay. They six him dogs on him which he fights off and he ends up meeting a female servant named Zilla and I think they're like the only maybe the only two servants in the house so he decides at the end of his entry he says like I asked Heathcliff if I could visit again tomorrow and he said no but I'm gonna do it anyway okay good night <laughs> talk to you later okay chapter two <laughs> Okay, so the next day he does the four mile walk again and as he arrives, it starts snowing and everyone says like, you shouldn't have come here <laughs> because apparently when it snows, that's game over. Like you're not going to be able to find your way back. Yeah. This time he meets a rude, beautiful girl who we learn is Mrs. Heathcliff, but not the wife of this Heathcliff, the wife of his dead son. Mm -hmm. And we also meet a young man whose name is Hareton Earnshaw. He thinks the girl is Heathcliff's wife. He thinks the young man is Heathcliff's son. And he it's it's very embarrassing for him. <laughs> yeah. And he makes a lot of assumptions. There's like a really funny way that he misspeaks, which is the dog that attacked him earlier has a bunch of puppies. And he says to the girl, he says, a beautiful animal. Do you intend parting with the little ones, madam? And she says, they are not mine. And he says it's even more repellingly than Heathcliff would have replied to him. So he says, ah, are your favorites among these? And he points at a cushion 
full of cats. And she says, a strange choice of favorites. And he realizes they were the skins of rabbits. <laughs> so she's like, I don't like dogs. Wow. And he goes, oh, are these your favorite? These dead rabbits? Is this your collection of Pet the Bunny? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and she doesn't just say, no, are you insane? She says, a strange choice of favorites. But it says, she, she said it scornfully. And he says, unluckily, it was a heap of dead rabbits. Unluckily? Yeah, because it made him look stupid. Yeah, but I don't really feel like there's that much luck involved in that. If something's a live cat or a dead rabbit. It's not just like flip a coin. Schrodinger's cat or dead rabbit. He just points to anything at all. And he's like, I hope that's going to be a cat. Oh, damn it. He covers his eyes and points at something and says, that's your favorite. Oh, I'm so unlucky. Those are dead animals. Why would there be a heap of dead animals on a couch? (laughs) We didn't even address the strange interior decorating that's going on also. (laughs) What is with the heap of dead animals? Why would that be there? I mean, I just love this whole interaction because she's so so rude to him. Strange choice of favorites. He says, unfortunately, it was a heap of dead rabbits. And then the girl says, you should not have come out. Yeah. So then he tries to help her and she goes, I don't want your help. (laughs) Then he's like, oops, sorry. She goes, were you asked to tea? And he says, oh yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. And she's like, no, did someone ask you here to tea? And he's like, you could ask me. And then she just ignores him. Yeah, everybody's basically really pissed that he's there because he's come and it's snowing and they know he can't find a way back home, but they really, really, really don't want him there. And he's basically forced them himself upon them. So at this point, it's snowing really heavily and Mr. Lockwood wants to leave. He asks for a guide. He says, can can you loan me a servant to help me get home? They say, no, we're not going to give you a servant. Yeah. He's like, can I stay here? And they're like, we really don't want you to. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to leave. And they say, you're going to die if you leave. <laughs> so they want him to die. I mean, they don't really want him. Saying. Like They wish that he hadn't put them in that situation, I guess. So he says, well, you have to let me stay. And Heathcliff says, if you stay, you're going to have to share a bed with Harriton or someone, some other boy because I don't want you roaming around my house. He's like, no, I could just sleep in a chair. Like, I I don't want to share a bed with them. And he's like, no, you have to share a bed with them. (laughs) So at this point, he's like, I do not want to share a bed with that guy. So he tries to steal one of their lanterns and he runs away. And they're yelling, like, bring that back. And he's like, oh, I'll bring it back tomorrow. And Joseph's like, get the dogs on him. He's stealing the lantern. Yeah, so they attack him with dogs. He gets bitten by the dogs. And the servant Zilla is like, ugh, okay, whatever. Come inside. We'll patch you up. You can sleep somewhere in the house <laughs> really after all of that yeah so all right so chapter three can we move on mm-hmm. so okay so zilla says to him i've only worked here a couple years i'm gonna put you in this room but don't make any noise because heathcliff doesn't like anyone to go in or mess with the room at all which is like couldn't he go in another room it's a big house she says i don't know but you know he's never told me but he doesn't like it so just be quiet yeah so he goes in and within the room there's this like big box that has a bed inside of it and some shelves so he's he's being insanely nosy he's like looking all around and he sees a bunch of names written and it's a bunch of Catherine Earnshaw, Catherine Heathcliff, Catherine Linton just written over and over and over again And he finds a diary, and it's Catherine's diary, and he reads a few entries that are about her childhood growing up with Heathcliff and her brother named Hindley. And he hated Heathcliff and mistreated both of them from what we read. 
So he goes to sleep and he has a nightmare about going to church and hearing a really, really long sermon. (laughs) And he finally wakes up and he realizes that what had caused him to have this dream is that there was a branch rattling against the window pane outside. So he wakes up and he tries to um, unhook the window so he can open it, but it's totally stuck. And he says that he was so annoyed that I must stop it nevertheless. So he punches through the window. (laughs) The glass? Yes, because he's so annoyed. He punches through the window of this angry guy who hates him and has sicked dogs on him twice and tried to leave him to die in the snow. Yeah. And then he grabs the branch but he realizes it's not a branch. It's an ice cold little hand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Severed or attached to an ice cold little person. No, but, and so as soon as he, (laughs) okay. So as soon as he realizes he's grabbing a ghost's arm, he lets go and he tries to pull his hand back in, but the ghost is holding onto his hand really, really tight. And this part did make me like, I made a face at this part and I was like, what? It's so gross. So he hears the voice. It's like, it says it's a melancholy voice sobbing and it's saying, let me in, let me in. And he asked, well, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Catherine Linton. And he thinks to himself, why did I say Catherine Linton? Because all the names that were written over and over and over, she wrote Catherine Earnshaw the most and Linton was written the least, basically. So why would this come to my mind? And she says, I've I'm come home. I'd lost my way on the moor. And he sees the face of a child looking outside and he gets so afraid that he does something disgusting. So in response to the terror of seeing this little face, he starts sawing her wrist along the broken glass. And, and like, there's like blood running down, soaking the Yeah, like the blood running clothes. down and he's just like sawing it and sawing it. And she's like, let me in, let me in. And, you know, it's still holding on to him tighter and tighter. And he says, how can I let you in? Let me go if you want me to let you in. So finally the fingers relax off his wrist and then he slams his wrist back and hurriedly piles up a bunch of books against the window and tries to block her from getting in. Yeah. And he says, be gone. I'll never let you in. Not if you (laughs) beg for 20 years. I only laughed at the be gone. Yeah. And then the ghost says, it has been 20 years. He's like, crap. Now I have to let her in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, darn it. Okay. (laughs) So of course he's been hollering, you know? So all of a sudden Heathcliff comes up and he's like, anyone here? And he says, oh, uh, it's just me. Don't worry. Uh, I screamed in my sleep. I had a nightmare. Like, no worries about it. Go back to bed. But the second he starts speaking before Heathcliff realizes who's in there, I mean, Heathcliff comes into this room that he never lets anyone in for now probably obvious reasons. Yeah. When he hears Mr. Lockwood start speaking, he becomes so frightened. He drops the candle. His face goes stark white. And Mr. Lockwood is like, I better help him out by continuing to speak. So he just keeps talking. So basically, he explains what he's doing in the room And Heathcliff says, quit yelling, go back to bed. And that's when he says, oh, if if the little fiend had got in at the window, she probably would have strangled me. And he says, like, oh, that Catherine Linton, she told me she'd been walking the earth for 20 years, a just punishment for her mortal transgressions, I've no doubt. So he's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't see a ghost at all and totally play it cool. But then he gets so upset that he, like, spills the ghost beans all over the place. Yes, because Heathcliff says, who put you in here? I'm going to turn them out of the house. And he says, well, do it. It was Zilla. She put me in here on purpose because she knew it was haunted and she probably just wanted me to see a ghost. Trying to play a prank. Yeah. So he says, he tries to say like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I I totally imagine the ghost. It's just because I happened to see those names, like all the Catherines written down. Heathcliff is really mad at him. He says, 
just get out of here. Like, how dare you speak this way to me? I mean, this is infuriating to him, like, to talk about this ghost and... Basically, Mr. Lockwood says, I don't want to go to bed. It's almost time for me to leave anyway. I'm going to just go outside and walk around for a couple hours and then leave when it's bright. Yeah, he says, what time is it? Heathcliff says, it's not three o'clock yet. And apparently everybody in the house always wakes up at four in the morning. Which I was like, what? In the winter, because they have to make the the most of the daylight, I guess. But anyway. it's definitely dark at four in the morning. Yeah. Well, so Heathcliff says, just go ahead out, take the candle with you. And he does, but because he doesn't really know how to leave, he pauses outside the door and he hears Heathcliff wrenching open the window and crying passionately. And he says, come in, come in, Kathy, do come once more. Oh, my heart's darling. Hear me this time, Catherine, at last. And she doesn't respond. And he just hears hmm. Heathcliff like sobbing and sobbing. I think there might be more to this Heathcliff fellow than we first thought. Yeah, maybe he's not just a grump yeah. who's not in love with a ghost. But <laughs> yeah. Man, oh, that's just so... Now that you know that, that's so abominable how Mr. Lockwood behaved, right? Just being like, oh, that little waif, she deserves to go to hell because yeah. she's such a sinner. What a freak. <laughs> like, that's probably why she's <laughs> stuck out there. <laughs> and like clearly this person is connected to him somehow because she had his last name at some point. Yeah. Mm. Or she Ugh. wanted to. Yeah. Blink, blink. Oh, blink, blink. So I'm going to skip most of the end of the chapter because it doesn't actually matter. He just walks around in the dark for some hours. And when he arrives back, his servants are like, oh, we thought you were dead. We were going to send out search parties. Glad to see you back, sir. And that's (laughs) chapter three. (laughs) So in chapter four, we meet our new narrator, who is Nellie Dean, which I'm going to call her Nellie from now on, if that's okay with you, Theo. Okay. She's inspired by Emily Bronte's uh, actual housekeeper. Or for a lot of the rest of the book, she is our narrator. Like, she's our POV character. And there's some discussion, you know, is she reliable? Is she unreliable? Whatever. She tells him that I grew up with the children of old Mr. Linton. Mr. Linton had a son and a daughter, and she was a little bit older than the son, but she was kind of raised as a combination of a child and a servant. So she tells that one day, Mr. Linton said, I am going to walk 60 miles to Liverpool and then walk back. What treats would you guys like? And they all tell him a different treat. But when he comes back, All of the treats they ask for are smushed, essentially, and what he actually has is a starving, dirty child. Aw, that's just what I wanted. (laughs) Yeah. He says, I found this kid starving in the streets, and I asked around, does anyone know who he belongs to? Nobody did, and I didn't have time to do more research, so I just brought him back with me. We're going to name him Heathcliff. <laughs> Wait, but why Why did all the treats get smashed? Because he was carrying this kid. For 60 miles. Yeah, he had like a fiddle slung over his shoulder and he had some whip. candy and whatever. But I guess like holding the kid tight or the kid kicking or whatever just squished everything. Yeah, because he kidnapped a kid off the streets and just walked him across the moors. Like, where does he think this guy's taking him? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we also, yeah, he doesn't really talk. He doesn't boy. know language, right? So he has no way of being told like, don't worry, I'm taking you to a good place. I'm not just like carrying you off to the slaughterhouse. Oh, so it's not a baby. No, he's no, like a, he's a, it's a probably kid. like five, like five or, six. or six. Yeah. Whoa. You're carrying a five or six year old kid 60, 60 miles. miles. Yeah. But so this is part of the reason why uh, things become contentious immediately with Heathcliff and the other two children. So the other two children are Catherine and um, or Kathy and her brother Hindley, who Rachel mentioned earlier. I would like to going forth, call her Kathy okay. and then someone else with that name, like his daughter-in-law or whatever. We can call her Catherine. Catherine. 
just to okay. make it clear, because a lot of people have the same name in this book. Yeah, they do. It's confusing. Um, so Kathy, she's the little girl, and she had asked her father for a horse's whip, and her brother Hindley had asked for a fiddle. And, of course, he brings back this little boy, and all of their stuff is crushed. Like, he's forgotten he the, whip. the whip. Yeah, He dropped the fiddle. Yeah, all this stuff. First of all, they're pissed that this weird little, like, non-English-speaking boy or non-speaking boy is there. And second of all, like, he's the reason that they didn't get their presents. So they are mad at this kid. So the thing about Heathcliff that you need to understand and that you probably wouldn't understand if you'd seen most of the adaptations is that he is not white. We don't know exactly what race he is, but there is no way that he is white. He has a couple options. We never figure out exactly what he is. He is called a few things. So, you know, we're going to have to talk about some racism now. Multiple times throughout the book, people call him a gypsy, Mm. which is a racial slur that refers to like the Romani people. They have faced horrible racism in Europe for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years and they still face like disgusting racism today. It's something like 80% of British people said they wouldn't want a Roma person as a neighbor. So that's the most common thing people call him. Occasionally, he's called another word, which is a lasker, which is like not a polite word, but it, it meant something. It was like some kind of like a Southeast Asian sailor. One time someone refers to him as like not a full black, mm-hmm. like he could be half black or something. He's called Indian. He's called Chinese. A Spaniard at one point. Like he might, like maybe his dad was Spanish and his mom was from China or something. He's described as having dark hair, dark skin, and dark eyes. And the way that he's always described, nobody in the book ever thinks that he is white. He's always described like this. The other thing to... (laughs) to consider is that Liverpool at the time was a slave trading hub in England. The slave trade in the UK, that is one of the main places they stopped. Mm. And the Bronte family, one of their neighbors was like a very prominent slave trading family. So she would have been very familiar with this. And like a lot of the wealth in the region came from the slave trade. There's a theory that he could have been a mixed race child of a slave. He could have been the child of like a foreign sailor who had a child with an English woman or the child of a woman of another race with an English man, whether it was consensual or not. So we're not sure. The thing is, he's normally just portrayed by a white guy with dark hair. (laughs) I think 2012 was the first time that a black actor ever played Heathcliff. And at the time, There were reviews that were like, how weird to try to thrust this, you know, racial stuff into Wuthering Heights. (laughs) Well, so do you have any idea like why Emily Bronte made this choice? Was it to kind of explain a little bit more of why he was othered or is this I don't know why she emotional thing? Like people also think that he might have been like there are hints that he might even be like some kind of demon or something, but I don't think so. I think he was a mixed race kid who got constantly mistreated his entire life and then grew up as a pissed man. (laughs) So to me, he reads much more sympathetic than he would have to people at that time, I have to say. Mm. Yeah, I don't think anybody could justify casting a white guy to play him. 
at any point from now on. I think it's kind of like Othello where the racial difference between this character and the other characters is very important to the story. Normally, I'm, I don't care, like colorblind casting, whatever. In this case, if you tried to cast him as a white guy, you would be missing a lot of the subtext. Mm-hmm. So back to the story. At first, all three of the kids bully this little boy. And then Nellie has to do something for a couple days. She comes back and Kathy has become friends with him. But Hindley still hates him and Mrs. Linton doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. There is a theory that Heathcliff is like the bastard child of Mr. Linton, but there's not really evidence for it in the text except that he just like brings this random kid home. He wasn't gone long enough. (laughs) Well, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he left another time previously. Yeah, it would have been five or six years earlier. (laughs) I'm just thinking, I mean, it's already a full day having to walk 120 miles, right? And then you're also supposed to impregnate a woman. He doesn't do it in one day. (laughs) Yeah, it took three days, I think. Oh, okay. But then yeah. you've also got to create a child. Yeah. yeah. That's, you'd be Who tired. would have the energy? <laughs> Mr. Linton starts to favor Heathcliff above his own children, which, I mean, Hindley sucks. Like, he's an asshole, so I can see why. But he just constantly thinks that Kathy is just like so naughty. So he just loves Heathcliff and favors him, and he's treated like all the other kids. Mm-hmm. So Nellie doesn't like him. But he ends up getting sick and she has to nurse him to health. And so ever since then, she feels like tenderness towards him in her heart. And now she likes him, basically. Mm-hmm. But the boys still hate each other. So she says basically like, oh, yeah, he was so spoiled. He was it wasn't that he was insolent. He just like didn't care that Mr. Linton liked him so much. And like he knew he had such a hold on the house and blah, blah, blah. But her example is, OK, so Henley was constantly physically attacking Heathcliff, who never did anything to retaliate. And she gives an example of how the two of them got colts, and then Heathcliff's colt falls lame, and he tells Hindley, you have to trade horses with me, and if you don't, I'm going to tell your dad that you beat me three times this week and show him my arm, which is black to the shoulder. And Nellie tries to frame this as like, uh, Heathcliff. He's like, what an That's asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Hindley's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then hits him. And Heathcliff says, you have to, or I'm going to tell him what you just did again. And then Hindley picks up a heavy iron weight and says, like, go away. And Heathcliff says, go ahead, throw it. And I'll tell him about that. And I'll tell him that you said you're going to turn me out after he dies. And then I bet he'll turn you out. Maybe Heathcliff should just learn the fine art of not saying all his plans. He's like, not only am I going to tell him this, I'm going to tell him this and this and this and this. And then I bet this is going to happen to you. Yeah. So Hindley throws the iron weight at him and hits him in the chest with these pounds of iron. And he like he turns totally white and falls over. But Nellie intervenes finally and stops him from saying something something so then Hindley's like whatever take the horse and I hope he breaks your neck and kicks your brains out and then he shoves Heathcliff right at the back feet of the horse and runs away like without waiting to see if the horse actually does stomp on his head so then Nellie says oh you know don't tell him like don't tell him about this you have your horse now which she's like oh look how manipulative he is I'm thinking he deserves a freaking horse after everything that boy put him through (laughs) can we all just agree that he deserves a horse (laughs) this boy deserves a million horses (laughs) I'm a little confused about the horse thing so it's it it says that Heath they were both given horses and Heathcliff immediately picked the better looking one but a couple weeks later it went lame and it couldn't run anymore so he said actually switch with me why don't they just share the extra 
a horse. Why do they need? They hate each other. They hate each other. (laughs) They need a mom to put them in one giant T-shirt all together that says like (laughs) "We love each other" or whatever. Yeah, really. (laughs) It says, "I love my adopted street urchin, horrible adopted brother." Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I love this fiddle crushing fool. Oh, that's a cute little name. That is. So we're in chapter five now, (laughs) and Mister Earnshaw has gone into decline. He used to be very healthy, but suddenly he has become sick and he starts getting really weird. He kind of becomes obsessed with Heathcliff. And even when Kathy doesn't deserve it, she says that he would constantly scold her. And she would, you know, if she was naughty during the day, he would scold her and she would come up and try to be like, oh, sorry, dad. Like, oh, I didn't mean it. But no matter what, he would be like, oh, who cares? Like, just be a good girl. Like, get out of here. He would say, just go say your prayers. Like, I don't buy it. So she says eventually Kathy quit ever trying to apologize and just got really bad. Mm -hmm. So he became really angry because he realized that Heathcliff would sometimes do what Mr. Linton wanted, but would always do what Kathy wanted. So he was like jealous about that. And he saw how bad Hindley was being. Like, so from Mr. Linton's, like the Lord's perspective, Heathcliff will do what I want him to do when it suits him. Yeah. But he will do what Kathy wants him to do anytime ever. Like, regardless yeah, no of, what. he just is going to do anything she says. Yeah. They're at this point, the two of them are best friends. They spend like all day, every day together. They just run out onto the moors and just hang out all the time. And they've kind of gone wild. Yeah. I think his wife is dead at this point. So he he sees Hindley being an asshole to Heathcliff and he sends him away to school. And once he's gone, Joseph's influence has increased. And Joseph is like whispering things like, oh, Kathy is so bad, blah, 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 blah. And she, I mean, she's kind of being bad, but seriously, she's not that bad. The dad keeps saying really mean things to her. They're like uncontrollable children. Eventually, he dies. And it's actually a very nice, peaceful death, I have to say. Heathcliff is laying there with his head in Mr. Linton's lap. Kathy is cuddling up to him. He's stroking Kathy's hair. And he says to her, yeah, that's when he says, oh, can't you just be good like this all the time? And she says, can't you be good all the time, dad? And then when she sees that it upsets him a little bit, she kisses him and says, let me sing you to sleep. And then she sings him a lullaby and sings and sings and sings for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the four of them are sitting in the room together very quietly, just having a nice evening. And then Joseph comes in and they realize that he has died. And the two children like scream and cry. But the kids don't realize it right away. Right. Kathy goes to kiss him goodnight and realize it. And before anyone can stop her. So the two children both start crying and Nellie starts crying. And then Joseph scolds them and says like, he's in heaven. So shut your mouths. It's fine. (laughs) So the two kids are sent upstairs and Nellie hears them talking to each other like, oh yeah, he must be in heaven. Heaven must be great. And they tell each other like, oh, I bet heaven's like this. And that's the end of chapter five. Mm. So cute, right? That sounds like a great way to die. You're surrounded by the kids that you love and they're singing you a song. You're surrounded by the one kid you love and the one girl you're kind of pissed off at all the time. But they had a really nice moment at the end. I'm just saying for them having such a contentious relationship, that's a pretty good ending. (laughs) Chapter six, they have the funeral and Hindley returns home and he brings with him a frail young wife who's just extremely cheerful. And everything she sees in the house, she's like, wow, I love it. This is great. But she is really shaken and frightened and just she is so made so uncomfortable by the funeral. She just doesn't like to think about death. And when she first moves in, she really loves Kathy because she's like, oh, I've got a sister. 
but she very soon gets tired of Kathy and also mentions offhand that she doesn't really like Heathcliff, which immediately turns Hindley against him just as much as before. And he says, yeah, you're a servant now. You don't get to eat with us. You have to go live with the servants and you eat with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the kids are still being bad. Whenever Heathcliff is supposed to do work, he and Kathy just run away together and play all day. And one night they don't come home. Henley's so mad. He's like, well, don't let them in at all tonight. So Nellie stays up and Heathcliff shows back, shows up by himself. And he says, we walked to Thrushcross Grange, the place where our original narrator is staying. And we wanted to go see the Lintons who live there. And we looked in the window and we saw two children, a boy and a girl, and they're crying over a dog. They had injured the dog because they were fighting over who got to hold it. And so the girl is crying about it and the dog seems a little upset and the boy is also upset. And Heathcliff like really looks down on them for being such wimps, I guess, because he's like, they should have had a great time. The house was beautiful. They didn't have any adults there to bother them. Mm -hmm. And instead they decide to quarrel over who gets to hold some dog. But now imagine how frightening it would have been if he looked in the window and he saw two dogs fighting over a human. Yeah, or two ghosts. Fighting over some A a dog, a ghost dog, yeah. Yeah. From our previous yeah. episode. So he says to her, like, wow, yeah, their life sucks so much that I would never change my position with his, not even if I had the privilege of flinging Joseph off the highest gable and painting <laughs> the house front with Hindley's blood. <laughs> even if you offered me these two amazing treats, I still wouldn't yeah. do it. Even if I could throw vinegar-faced Joseph off the house, I still wouldn't do it. He's so dramatic. And he's telling this to Nellie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what is Nellie supposed to say? Like, yeah, that would be sick. Like, Yeah, did she kind of chuckle along? Did it say how she responded? She said, hush, hush, where's Catherine? <laughs> like, just shut up. I don't want to hear any of this. <laughs> Quit talking about painting the house with this guy's blood. <laughs> You're ruining my plausible deniability. <laughs> well, maybe he just always brings it up. Yeah. So she's just like, okay, we got to move yeah. on. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. We get it. <laughs> yeah. Painting the house with the blood. Okay. We've told the story a million times before we get it. Yeah. So he says, okay, we looked in the window and we laughed at them. They saw us and freaked out. So we ran away, but they sicked a dog on us and it bit Kathy. Mm. And then when they saw us, they thought we were thieves, but eventually they recognized her from church. They told her she could stay, but they wouldn't let me stay. They said I had to go home because I was cursing so much. (laughs) Kathy's leg is so injured that she has to stay there for like six weeks or something. She's bleeding like heavily. So he says, I waited at the house and spied on them to make sure that Kathy was happy to be there because he says like, if she gave me the slightest sign that she wanted to go home, like I would break through the windows and fight everyone and take her. But I saw that she was comfortable. So he goes home by himself. Yeah. And at this point, they're separated because, yeah, she stays with the Lintons for five weeks. And we're in chapter seven now. So she stays with them for five whole weeks. And by the time she's back, she has like transformed into a young lady with nice clean clothes and styled hair. She doesn't like run off on the moors anymore and she doesn't like get dirty and she doesn't like to curse up a storm with Heathcliff. Like now she's 
basically refined. Okay, here's the funny thing. So Theo, this is what this is the quote that I want you to read for the beginning, <laughs> which is when she gets to the house, she has her nice outfit. She's like very gingerly shaking people's hands because she doesn't want to get her clothes dirty. And while she was gone, since nobody was caring about Heathcliff, he got like dirtier and dirtier than ever before. So when she sees him, she laughs and then he gets upset and she's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. It's just I've been at I've been with the Lintons for so long. Like you look very dirty in comparison, but all you have to do is wash your face and you'll be fine. But he says, I shall. This is what I want Theo to read. I shall be as dirty as I please. And I like to be dirty and I will be dirty. Well, he gets like insecure about how different he looks. About his dirtiness. But then he just like really leans into it to try to upset her. Starts. So she tries to talk to him and he just ignores her for a while and is just like very withdrawn. Eventually, they invite the Lintons over for Christmas. So it's Christmas time and they've invited the Lintons and Nellie wants him to join, but Hindley won't let him. He's like, no, he needs to be with the servants. So she tells him like, hey, why don't you clean yourself up a little bit and I can arrange for you and Kathy to hang out before the Lintons come over and I think she'll be really happy to see it. She says, like, I think Kathy's upset because you haven't been hanging out with her. And he's like, well, she's upset. I'm upset. <laughs> he he wants to look nice. And she says, all right, let me help you. So she washes his face and she does his hair and everything. And she's saying, oh, you're going to look so great. Like, maybe you're younger than Edgar Linton, but I'm sure you're taller than him and you have broader shoulders and you don't cry about every stupid thing the way he does. And this is quite sad because he's saying, well, even if I was able to beat him up or whatever, I would never be as handsome as he is. I wish I had light hair and fair skin Mm -hmm. and had nice clothes and had a chance to be rich like him. And she says, look, if you just quit frowning angrily constantly, (laughs) just like smooth out your brow. If you just quit fantasizing about throwing Joseph off the ballast, maybe you'd look a little nicer. Quit furrowing your forehead, quit squinting your eyes, start smiling. And he's like, well, my eyes will still never become blue. She's like, that's okay. You can still look pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) So this is when Nellie gets a little racist where she says like, hey, even a regular old black person could have a nice face if they have a good heart. <laughs> Nellie, come on. <laughs> Why'd you have to bring that yes, into this? even you. <laughs> yeah. So she says, hey, we don't know who your parents are. So why don't you imagine that your father was the emperor of China and your mother was an Indian queen? Like, why not just imagine something good? So yeah, he's clearly not white. I'm going to say that again. But how can you be like, oh yeah, you're part black. Uh, your dad could be Chinese and your mom could be Indian within the same paragraph. <laughs> I feel like in a certain time period, in a certain place, everything that's slightly ethnic is just black, right? Yeah, it was weird. Aren't they just kind of using these things all together? Yeah. I do like that idea, though, that like, well, we don't know who they are. So why don't you just imagine like they're both rulers of separate yeah. countries? And they're much richer than the Lintons could ever be. Yeah. That's so cool. that cheers him up a little bit and he's excited. But unfortunately, he runs into Hindley and the Lintons arrive. So the Lintons arrive and Hindley sees him and makes fun of him and is like, Oh, trying to look good, are you? Well, I'm going to pull your hair so that it's even longer. <laughs> I wish my hair would get longer that yeah. way. Like, Would that work? <laughs> oh, it just came out. <laughs> <laughs> so Edgar says, like, well, they're already long enough. I'm surprised they don't give him a headache. It looks like he's got a colt's mane. And Heathcliff, in response to this, grabs a pot of hot 
applesauce and throws it in his face. Gosh. Because he didn't even really say anything that bad. So, okay, Nellie in revenge, she grabs a cloth to clean him off, but she says that she spitefully scrubbed his nose and mouth and told him it served him right for meddling. (laughs) And Kathy shows up. His sister is crying. Kathy says to him, like, you shouldn't have said anything to him. And Edgar's crying too. And he says, I didn't say anything to him. (laughs) Yeah, you talked about him in front of him. <laughs> That's yeah, also not I promised great. I wouldn't say one word to him and I didn't. Yeah, I promised my mom. <laughs> but so Kathy's like, well, quit crying, both of you. You're not killed. So just shut up. We're fine. And don't make it any worse than it already is. Uh, her brother shows back up and has been apparently like beating Heathcliff quite a bit and then locks him in a room upstairs. So Nellie is watching Kathy and is thinking, damn, this girl is so cold. She doesn't even care about what happened. But then she sees one time she sees like tears well up in Kathy's eyes and she immediately drops a spoon and pretends she has to go under the table and look for it. So then Nellie's thinking, okay, okay, okay. Oh, she's not as cold hearted as I thought. Mm. Yeah, not as cold hearted. So So they had a dance. Heathcliff is locked up and Kathy says like, oh, you know, the music sounds better uh, over here upstairs. And she (laughs) sneaks away and Nellie says, here, I'll take you to him. And so Kathy kind of creeps into the room and she hears them talking and they're able to spend some time together at Christmas. So later he tells Nellie that he'll get his revenge. And he's like, I just hope that Hindley doesn't die before I am able to. Because Hindley's a terrible alcoholic. And Nellie's like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) That's enough of that. She's like, "Uh, let's let God take care of that. Uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. So she tries to stop telling the story for the night because she says it's late. But the but Mr. Lockwood's like, no, no, no. I love to stay up late. I wake up really late too. Keep going. <laughs> and he doesn't let her stop gossiping. He, he just says a bunch of weird things. And then it's clear that Nellie is like, okay. And then just like moves on. But so he says, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know why I've been talking so much. Like, I know you're you're tired. You want to go to bed. And he says, no, no, no. I love to sleep in till 10. So it's no big deal for me to stay up till one or two in the morning. And she's like, you really shouldn't do that. And he goes, well, look, Nellie, don't you ever feel like <laughs> you're watching a cat licking a kitten? And if the kitten neglects or if the cat neglects even one little ear of the kitten, then you would be really mad at it. And she's like, what? Well, yeah, she says, wow, what a lazy mood to be in. Yeah. And he says, actually, I also perceive that when you are in a little tiny town like this, everything is much more important so that it's the value that a spider in a dungeon places over a spider in a cottage. He says people in little towns live more in earnest. They look in more on themselves. They they change on the surface less. Basically, he's saying everything that happens in this little tiny town between these like two households is so intense and interesting because there's nothing else going on. He says, I could fancy a love for life here almost possible. And I was a fixed <laughs> unbeliever in any love of a year's standing. Yeah, she says, uh, well, you know, we're the same as anywhere else. Yeah. Once we're just normal people, oh, you weirdo. <laughs> and then he says, excuse me. And he says, no, Nellie, you are proof of the opposite because you are smart and a servant. Yeah, you're way better than servants in the city mm-hmm. because you have had to cultivate your reflective faculties for want of occasions for frittering away your life in silly trifles. Basically, you're so bored all the time, you have to think about things. Yeah, because there's so little to do. And she's like, oh, no. 
I'm just a normal person. You know, I've had to go through some tough things. And also, yeah, I've, I've read all the books in this library. So uh, anyway, back to the story. I'm just a normal person, <laughs> but also I've read everything in the library. I feel like he kind of reminds me of Holden Caulfield. You think? Just wanting to tell people his perspective on life, but it's totally baffling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the thing about the cat with the kitten was because she said, okay, let me skip over three years in the story. And he's like, no, I would get so mad because wouldn't you get mad if you saw a cat not cleaning a whole kitten? Because that's what you're doing right now. You're metaphorically <laughs> licking a kitten's ear. And she's like, this guy's insane. Yeah, you you missed a spot. <laughs> so she goes, all right, well then let me go back to the summer of 1778, nearly 23 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I'll just skip a few months if that's okay with you, weirdo. <laughs> and, and then he looks over and it turns out it's a dead rabbit licking another dead rabbit. <laughs> Oh, uh, how unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> I messed that up again. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I hope you're loving Wuthering Heights. This is Theo, your producer. I'm jumping in during the edit to tell you two important things. The first one is if you like this podcast, we would love for you to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews really help us. We'd really love that. Second, if your wallet likes this podcast, consider becoming a patron on our Patreon. We have a bunch of bonus episodes up, all ready for your consumption. You can learn about aliens, whirlwind romances, and I think Jackie tells a story about hard-boiled eggs and ham as ingredients for lasagna or something. I, I don't know. But there are also other great benefits to becoming a patron. You can get a sticker. And I'm not talking just like a blank white square sticker that doesn't have any adhesive. This one is round as our podcast logo on it. And the back is sticky. Uh, so it's way better than what you were probably imagining. So please go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash fire the cannon. C-A-N-O-N. All right. Now back to Nellie's wonderful tale. So we're in chapter eight and I think we can go decently quickly through this. So Hindley's wife has a very beautiful baby son named Hareton, which is, you remember, the youth we saw in the first or second chapter. He was eating his bread with unclean hands. Exactly. So the wife gets ill and she dies very soon after. The whole time, Hindley is denying that his wife is sick, but it's very obvious that he knows she is and he can almost like, he cannot bear to be around her it seems, even though she also is like ig totally ignoring that she's about to die. And he always says like right up until she dies, he says like, oh, she's about to be better. Like she looks so much better today. And then she dies. And as soon as that happens, his life is over. Yeah. Like he's devastated. He drinks constantly. He just rages out all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's awful. Kind of ignores his baby. And so after this, the whole family kind of just like sinks into disarray because the servants like pretty much all quit except for Nellie and Joseph because no one can stand to be around Hindley because he's so miserable and angry. And Nellie says, I think that because he's he was basically my foster brother, I was willing to put up with more than most people. Yeah. Catherine and Heathcliff have like a, basically a terrible example of an adult in the house and Nellie says basically everything would have been completely awful except that um, the only decent people who ever visited was Edgar Linton coming to visit Miss Kathy. At 15, she was the queen of the countryside. So there was, you know, hardly anybody around, but... Um, she's the prettiest. She's the prettiest of all the no women that are yeah. out there, I guess. So the problem is 
Kathy has grown up to be essentially very two-faced, which in this case means that when she's around Heathcliff, she acts totally one way. And then when she's around the Lintons, she acts in a completely different way. Like she, she's not able to synthesize those two parts of herself. So instead, it just seems like she's fake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then Heathcliff's problem is that he has totally lost all of his knowledge. Like he couldn't see the tutor anymore with Kathy. And he kept up for a little while with some tutoring afterwards, but eventually he just couldn't do it anymore. So he totally stopped caring and it seems like forgot everything he ever knew. And he's gotten just very grumpy, obviously, because he's so jealous of the Lintons. Yeah. And he's also just getting more and more insecure about his failings compared to, to Edgar. And he's like, I can't keep up with Kathy in my schooling. Like no one's caring for me anymore. Like she's growing, growing closer to Edgar. Like, yeah, everything's awful. Oh, yeah. man. So the worst day arrives, which is Hindley left home for the day and Joseph is off doing something. So Heathcliff thinks, oh, great. I can hang out with Kathy today because no one can tell me not to. The problem is she knew her brother was going to be gone, so she invited Edgar Linton over to visit because she thought Heathcliff would be working. So he sees her wearing the nice dress, and he says, oh, are you going somewhere? And she says, no. He's like, oh, great. Well, we can hang out today. And she says, well, you have to do your work. He's like, no, I don't have to do my work. Joseph's busy. So she's kind of trying to persuade him to go somewhere else. Edgar shows up while they're talking. They're having a fight. She tells him, like, you never talk. How could I enjoy hanging out with you? And he's like, you never told me that you don't like that I don't talk. (laughs) Yeah, she says, like, what good do I get? What do you talk about? You might be dumb or a baby. He says, you you never told, yeah, you never told me you don't like my company. And she's like, it's not any company. Like, you just sit and you don't say anything. Yeah, you never respond to me, which apparently, according to Nellie, is accurate. Like, Kathy was trying, but Heathcliff just wouldn't give her anything. Man. Yeah, yeah. He's just too angry, too prideful. Mm-hmm. Edgar shows up and he's so happy to see Kathy. And Kathy's like, oh, what a surprise, as though she didn't know he was coming. Heathcliff like storms off. And Nellie, the reason we get this information is because Hindley said, don't leave them alone. So she stays in the room like doing chores and Kathy keeps trying to make her leave. She's like, can you not do this? <laughs> Yeah, she says Mr. Hindley had told me I need to be in the room with them at all times so she wouldn't leave. Yeah, but she doesn't tell Kathy that. She says, she doesn't tell Kathy I have that. to do a chore and, you know, Mr. Hindley finds it annoying when I do this around him. And Kathy says, well, I find it annoying when you do it around me. So can you please leave? And then Nellie just says like, no, and then does her chores some more or like doesn't respond but continues to do her chores. And in response, Kathy, thinking that Edgar hasn't or isn't seeing her, pinches Nellie very hard, really hard, like enough to leave a mark. And Nellie jumps up and decides to, you know, kind of reveal her for who she is and is like, how could you do this to me? Like that hurt really bad. Yeah. So Kathy denies it. She's like, I didn't do anything, you liar. And Edgar is like, what is going on? She shows the pinch. She's like, look at this giant purple mark on my arm. Where did this come from if you didn't pinch? me. She slaps Nellie. Yeah, he's crying because of her slapping his nurse. And then she picks up the kid and shakes him Mm -hmm. until he turns like pale, I guess. And Edgar tries to take the kid. Yeah, so he puts his hands on her to try to stop her. And she punches him in the ear. Right in the lug. (laughs) Right in the lug. So then Nellie grabs the little boy and runs into the kitchen but leaves the door open because she wants to hear how they're going to resolve their differences, I guess. Yeah. So Edgar goes to leave. Catherine's like, you can't go anywhere. And he goes, 
how can I stay? You just hit me. You've made me afraid and ashamed of you. I won't come back. Yeah. And you lied. And she's like, I did. He says you deliberately lied. And she's like, I didn't do anything deliberately. So she says, well, fine. Go away. I'll cry. I'll cry myself sick. He He's able to leave the house, but he's kind of standing there. And so Nellie walks up and is like, look, she's really bad. You should just go home or else she's going to purposefully make herself sick just to make us feel bad for her. But she sees that he's not going to be able to get away and she's like, nope, he's already caught. And sure enough, he walks back into the house. Yep. He walks back in and then when she sees them inside, she realizes that actually somehow their quarrel had made them even more close than they were before. And it had enabled them to forsake the disguise of friendship and confess themselves lovers. Yep. And then suddenly Hindley comes home. So Nellie goes to hide the child and Catherine runs away and Linton gets onto his horse. And now we're in chapter nine. Final chapter. Hindley is extremely upset to find that Nellie has hidden his little infant son or toddler son in a cabinet and is like, aha, I found this thing. I can't believe he's hiding from me. Like, I'm going to make you swallow the carving knife, Nellie. Yeah. <laughs> and she says to him, I don't want to swallow the carving knife. It's been cutting red herrings. Can you just shoot me? Yeah, and he says, don't worry about it. I've just crammed Kenneth, the doctor, head downmost in the Blackwood Marsh or Black Horse Marsh. So he says, I just killed the doctor who told me that my wife would die. So I might as well kill you too. Who cares? And then he's like, give me this knife. He tries to force it in her mouth and she says like she wasn't worried about him. So she's like, whatever, and spits it out. And then he says what? like, bring me this boy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Is he has she... the knife between her teeth, but she's like, ugh, I'm used I to was this. Never, yeah. I was never much afraid of him. So she spat it out and says, that tastes bad. Yeah, it tastes <laughs> like fish. And so then he's like, bring me the boy. I'm going to crop his ears. I like it when dogs have cropped ears. They look so much better. Wow. Yeah, it makes them fiercer and this kid cries all the time because he's such a wimp. I'm turning against this guy. You're turning against this guy. You should have been against him the whole time. <laughs> I'm finally starting to realize he might be a bad dude. I was thinking it was going to be a redemption arc, but I don't know anymore. Uh, <laughs> so he tells so. the boy, he picks him up and he goes, kiss me. What? It won't? He says, damn thee, kiss me. <laughs> to his little crying baby son. <laughs> he's damning him. And so then he like grabs the boy and he's walking around and he he Michael Jackson's his boy. He dangles he him, him over the railing of his house. But he went one further. <laughs> and then he gets distracted and drops his baby. Oh, no. But drops Heathcliff, Heathcliff happens, happens to, to be, be walking by. <laughs> and we he, were gonna like finish. No, the sorry. Sentence. But he he just by reflex catches the baby and then puts him down. And immediately is like, fuck, I can't believe I saved this guy's baby. I hate him. Like he wishes he hadn't done it. Nellie says she <laughs> sees in his face that he's like, damn it, that would have been the perfect revenge. And she's like, if it wasn't bright down there, I know that he would have like crushed that kid's skull. <laughs> if it wasn't bright? Like it was so bright they were able to see him catching the baby. She's oh. saying if it was dark and he could have gotten away with it, she thinks he would have killed that kid and pretended he fell yeah this is so i mean like cramming a knife in someone's mouth like sawing someone's i know and then she says a little judgmental when somebody else just dropped a baby out a window i know yeah like he saves a baby's life like oh you're the bad guy because if we had not been able to see you she describes his face as a miser who's parted with a lucky lottery ticket and finds out the next day that he lost five thousand pounds yeah and that's what he looks like when he realizes that he saved the baby right wow. yeah and so then of course Hindley like tries to blame 
Nelly, he says, like, you should have taken my baby away from me. (laughs) Why'd you let me do that? (laughs) But so she says to him, like, can't you just be better? Everyone hates you. Have mercy on your own soul. Don't you want to go to heaven? And he says, no, actually, I want to go to hell to spite God. He's real, man. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) He said he would take great pleasure, basically, in sending his own soul to punish God, uh, to, to hell to punish God. And drink some more. And then Heathcliff's says, well, it's a pity he can't kill himself with alcohol. He's definitely doing his best, but the doctor said he's probably going to be fine and die of old age. But do you think he really just killed the doctor? No. Oh, he just said that? I don't think he killed the doctor. I think he, like, pushed him or something. Like, sticking somebody's head in the mud isn't going to kill them anyway. If you do it for long enough. Or often enough. Or often enough. (laughs) Like, once a day, eventually it'll get (laughs) you. She's like, she takes the little baby into the kitchen and she's rocking him and she's singing a song called The Ghost's Warning, which is a little prescient, don't you think? So she's rocking this baby. Heathcliff is in the kitchen at first and then leaves. And she thinks that he's gone outside, but he has not. He's like laying on a bench in the darkness. And Kathy comes in and tells Nellie like, hey, can I tell you a secret? And you don't tell anyone. And she's like, nah, I really don't want you to do that. Yeah, don't tell me. I don't want Yeah, Don't tell me the secret. And she's like, oh, come on, just listen. No, please don't tell me your secret. She said, fine, I won't tell you my secret. I'll tell you my dream. And Nellie freaks out. She's like, no, 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 please. I don't want to hear a dream. (laughs) Don't talk about your dream. (laughs) It's too scary. (laughs) So boring when people talk about their dreams, anything but that. Stick a fish knife in my mouth. No, she really freaks out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so she says, here's the secret. Edgar asked me to marry him today, and I'm not going to tell you my answer until you tell me if I should have said yes or no. And she's like, what is this stupid shit? (laughs) I don't know what you could possibly mean. Um, She says, well, do you love him? Do you want to read the dialogue this time? I'll be Nelly. Okay. Well, first and foremost, do you love Mr. Edgar? Who can help it? Of course I do. Why do you love him, Miss Kathy? Nonsense. I do. That's sufficient. By no means. You must say why. Well, because he is handsome and pleasant to be with. Bad. And because he is young and cheerful. Bad. Still. And because he loves me. Indifferent coming there. And he will be rich, and I shall like to be the greatest woman of the neighborhood, and I shall be proud of having such a husband. Ding, 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 ding. Worst of all. Oh. Nope. (laughs) Worst of all, and now say why you love him. Or now say how you love him. As everybody loves. You're silly, Nellie. Not at all. Answer. I love the ground under his feet and the air over his head and everything he touches and every word he says. I love all his looks and all his actions and him entirely and all together. Okay, so then basically Nellie says like, that's stupid. You just said you love him because he's handsome, young, cheerful, rich, and loves you. And he said, and she says, those are all things that are basically impermanent. Like he's not going to be handsome or, you know, lovely or cheerful or young forever. Yeah. And she says, well, he is right now and I'm going to marry for the present. And Nellie says, well, if all you care about is the present, then yeah, sure. Marry him. Good idea. Mm -hmm. And she says, you love him. He loves you. You'll get out of this house. What's the problem? She says, where is the obstacle? And and Catherine says, Kathy says, here and here. Her head and her breast. Touches her chest and her breast, right. Her chest and her breast. She says, in my soul and in my heart. Just chest and breast. (laughs) Is that what I Head and breast, yeah. (laughs) In my soul and in my heart. I'm convinced I'm wrong. Oh, this is where she says, do you ever dream queer dreams? And she's like, well, here I've. I've dreamed some things and I'm going to tell you it, but you can't smile at it. And she's like, I don't want to hear it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. (laughs) No dream talk. Yeah. So the dream is Kathy says, I dreamed that I went to heaven and I was miserable and I cried and cried 
and the angels were so angry that they cast me out of heaven and I landed on the heath at Wuthering Heights and I was happy again. And she says, that explains why I'm conflicted because I have no more business to marry Edgar Linton than I have to be in heaven. Basically, if my brother hadn't destroyed Heathcliff like this, I never would have even thought of marrying Edgar, but it would degrade me to marry him now. So he shall never know how I love him. When she says, it will degrade me to marry him now, this is when Heathcliff, who has been listening outside the entire time, gets up and leaves. Yes. So he doesn't does hear, not hear any of the, the rest. rest of the sentence, which is, he will never know how I love him. And it's not because he's handsome, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. That's beautiful, right? Yeah. But Heathcliff didn't get to hear any of it. I All know. he heard was, it would be so degrading to marry him. Wow. And she says, okay, stop talking. What if Heathcliff hears you? <laughs> and she's like, oh, he won't hear me, whatever. He doesn't even know what love is. And Nellie tells her, well, you know what love is. Why can't he know what love is. <laughs> she said, think about how miserable he'll be if he loves you back because as soon as you get married, he'll lose his friend and his love and all. Like, how could you handle being separated? And she says, what are you talking about? Who could separate us? I would tear them, tear up their bodies and throw them to the dogs. I would rather every single Linton melt into nothing than be separated from Heathcliff. When two paragraphs earlier, she's like, I love Edgar Linton. I love everything about him. Yeah. She's like, he could melt. Who gives a fuck if I don't get to see my bro? <laughs> my brother, who I'm also in love with. Well, he's not her brother, um, but yeah. Well, so, they refer to her him. Bro, yeah. like, her pal. She says like, no, listen, as soon as I marry Edgar, I'm going to use all his money to help Heathcliff find a better situation in life. <laughs> He's beta. <laughs> and Nellie says, that's the worst reason of all that you've given. She's like, no, that's the best reason to marry him, <laughs> mm -hmm. to help out my friend. And Nellie basically is saying... He's not going to let you do that. And Kathy's like, he's going to have to deal with it because I'm going to do it. But she says, Heathcliff and I were together since we were little. We felt all of each other's miseries together. If everything died, but he was still alive, then I would still be alive. But if he were annihilated, the universe would turn into a mighty stranger. I should not seem a part of it. She says, my love for Linton is like the foliage in the trees. Time will change it as winter changes the trees. My love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath, a source of little visible delight, but necessary. <laughs> she says, I am Heathcliff. Yeah, this is the He's powerful He's always part. in my mind. Okay, <laughs> Nellie, I am Heathcliff. He's always, always in my mind, not as a pleasure any more than I am always a pleasure to myself, but as my own being. Yeah. So don't talk about us being separated or else. <laughs> this is very, very toxic, right? Like, is it great or is it toxic? It wouldn't have to be toxic. Yeah. It is because of what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. And what her brother did yeah. and racism. Okay. But so, it doesn't, I don't, I don't of... think it has to be. Uh, mm -hmm. For a teenager to feel this way, I don't think that's a sign of like some kind of terrible codependency necessarily. But do you think they're connection is like supernatural in some way because it kind of becomes supernatural. Yeah. I think that they are meant to be soulmates and I think they're the right. only soulmates in this book and perhaps in the whole world. I think that's the point is that these two like they are connected. They're <laughs> star-crossed. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she's like, look, whatever. Don't tell me anything else. I won't be able to keep those secrets. And Nellie's like, oh, so you'll keep the ones I told you? She's like, no, I, I can't promise that. But anyway, so they're about to argue some more about that and then joseph interrupts and says like 
Where's Heathcliff? But like in a much longer and more Scottish way. <laughs> yeah, much more Scottish. So Kathy says, well, I've got to talk to him. She runs outside. She's yelling and yelling at the top of her lungs and she can't find him. And she's like, well, I have to talk to him tonight because Nellie says, yeah, I think he heard what you said about it being degrading for you to marry him. So she freaks out. And she runs outside and it's raining at this point. She's like looking for him in the dark, in the rain and the cold. And she gets very, very sick. And Heathcliff never comes back. The Linton parents come to visit her. They catch what she has and both of them die from her cold. Oh, uh, yep, exactly. So three years pass and Kathy ends up marrying Edgar. It's like th- exactly three years after his parents' funeral. And she forces Nellie to go live with her at Thrushcross Grange, which is explains why she's there now. And she doesn't want to leave the little boy and tries to stay with him because he's only four years old. I think, yeah, she says he's almost five and she wants to stay. But Kathy complains and complains And Edgar offers her tons of money. And then Hindley says, like, I don't want any women in this house after Kathy's gone. So get out. Like, we'll raise the boy ourselves. So she says she hasn't seen the little boy since he was five. And she says, like, I wonder, he probably doesn't even remember that there was a time when we both loved each other more than anything else in the world, Mm -hmm. which is pretty sad. Yeah. (laughs) She lives only four miles away and she never saw that little boy again. At this point... It is 1.30 a.m. and she finally says like, I am definitely going to bed and then does. And then Lockwood stays up for an hour or two longer, just thinking and thinking. He's going to summon the courage to go to bed in spite of aching laziness of head and limbs. So he's so lazy, he doesn't even want to go to bed. (laughs) I feel like I'm often so tired, I don't want to get up and go to bed. I know. but um, Yeah, that's a thing. Certainly is a thing. I also feel like I would be afraid to go to bed because you were just like four miles away, a little ghost girl. Accosted by a freaking ghost. Yeah, climbed in your window. Yeah, but he got the better of her. (laughs) He really showed her. Yeah, he came out on top in that ghost fight. (laughs) I wouldn't be scared of no ghost after that. So uh, anyway, that's that's the tale. That's where we are. That's the end of chapter nine. What do you what are you thinking so far, Jackie? Me? Yeah, I'm having a great time. Oh, I like it. I feel like it it moves pretty fast, actually. Yeah, it does. So I've read it. I took a gothic literature class. I I took at least one gothic literature class, and I did have to read this. I didn't enjoy it that much then. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I was reading too many other things at the time, but this is very immersive. Mm-hmm. Once I start reading it, I'm just like kind of sucked into it. And yeah. I think everyone's emotions are just so intense. Everything's so intense that when I come out, I'm like, <gasps> what? Yeah. Just kind of like yeah. taking in a deep breath. And yeah. I don't know. I think as a teen, I thought their love was stupid, but now I'm I buy it. <laughs> So my theory is I think as a teenager and like you haven't experienced anything yet, you're just like, eh, I don't know, like all love seems really dramatic and not that realistic. So it doesn't seem that special that it's that dramatic. Like that's pretty much everything that you see. Mm -hmm. But then Mm. I feel like if you ever get anything close to feeling like Kathy feels or like Heathcliff feels, it's like it just feels like you said, very immersive, like it's insane. Also, just like with Catcher in the Rye, when you're a teen and you read about a teen, a lot of times I feel like we have a tendency to be like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Why are you acting like this? So these two but I don't, are brats. Yeah. And so when I was a teen, I was probably thinking like, 
I wouldn't want to hang out with them. But as an adult, I'm just thinking these are two abused children. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. I guess I'm, I kind of as a teenager and even now don't really think of them as teenagers, like not to the same degree that I thought of Holden. Holden now is obviously like this poor kid, but like with Kathy and Heathcliff, I almost feel like you're supposed to think of them as more adult than they are. Yeah. And I think just knowing a little bit more about psychology, somehow I'm, I am able to buy it more like the two of them having to survive such a horrible situation. I can see how they would just cleave together yeah. so tightly. Well, imagine if Kathy never started to like Heathcliff at all. Like he would have been so alone. Yeah. And like, why did she start to like him? Like, there's really no reason for that. Like she started to just like care about him, but. I'm sure it was because she was bored. She had nothing else to do. What are you going to do? You're going to hate There's got to be forever? a more interesting explanation. No. They realized they were the same person. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it's more powerful than just being bored. Like they realized they had like kindred spirits or something. Yeah. Well, she tells Nellie, like, like Rachel was saying, like she has trouble reconciling these two sides of her, like her wild side and her gentle womanly side but it's clear that her wild side is her real side like she has a real side i think that if she hadn't been like pulled apart like this that she would have actually been able to synthesize it better like i was saying earlier like i don't think the wild side is the real her i think she mm -hmm. was forced to keep these things separate like she's genuinely become interested in fashion and that's like a totally valid thing for her to be into you know like mm -hmm. it can be fun for her to do that but just because she had to keep it so separate she wasn't able to figure out like what would have been the real her you know yeah. I guess it's a little bit like any story of like a tomboy or something that grows up and it's like you know you can like pink and also still be smart you know like yeah. you don't you, you can be both mm. oh poor Kathy I feel bad for them I I these reviews that are like ugh Heathcliff, he's disgusting. Like, what a wretch. What a monster. So far, he hasn't really done anything. He saved a baby. So, yeah, saved a baby. He <laughs> threw some hot applesauce at a bully, a rich punk. That was pretty funny, right? I would love to see Mr. Lockwood interact with Mr. Collins. Because they're both oafs. But in totally different ways. <laughs> Very different ways. And I would like to see Joseph interact with Mary. Mary, the Bennett sister, oh, and Joseph, yeah. the vinegar face. Maybe they're soulmates. Maybe. No, I would love to see, or I'm wondering if you would love to see Lizzie rip Lockwood a new one. Yeah, I'd like to see her rip adult Heathcliff a new one too. I think she'd have a good time if she lived <laughs> near Wuthering Heights. <laughs> I, that would be a really fun crossover. Like it would just be so much more cheerful. Well, the characters <laughs> in Pride and Prejudice are are much more practical. The only person who has these passions is Lydia and she's a fool. <laughs> well, Nellie, Nellie is kind of a, a good character, right? I mean, we're not quite sure what her motivations are and whether she's always telling the truth or whether she's objective, but she's pretty interesting. She's a nice POV character, I would say, yeah. yeah. She's got a good head on those shoulders. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's because she's read every book in the library. Yeah. I do like how she interacts with Mr. Lockwood. I think that's so funny. I hope he has more of these like rabbit issues <laughs> i hope he's unlucky again yeah i hope he's unlucky in cat identification again mm -hmm. um i don't know i think like you know i'm from such a small town i feel like maybe this is just i feel like he's right that like things just are much more intense when you don't have anything else going on like people manufacture drama you remember when you guys were at my family's house and we were hollering about adulterers yeah that's what it's like oh okay yeah i already <laughs> forgot they blended into all the other times we were hollering about adulterers <laughs> well all right everyone thanks for joining us for 
episode one of our Wuthering Heights miniseries. Now, if this were season one, we would end things by saying goodbye, Nully. But since it's season two, we're in the market for a new sign-off. So if you have any suggestions, we have a Facebook discussion group and announcement page at Fire the Cannon. We have an Instagram and a Twitter at Fire the Cannon Pod. We have a Gmail account. You can email us any sign-off suggestions at Fire the Cannon Podcast at gmail.com. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And of course, if you would like to support us, then you can find us at patreon.com slash fire the cannon. As always, cannon is spelled C-A-N-O-N, and we appreciate all your support. Awesome. Okay. Uh, shall we go? My cat's making sad noises. Yeah.